Hey, good morning. Welcome to another Backyard Professor Live. I am in my backyard. I'm visiting my daughter and I'm in Montana in the Lolo National Forest. And it is an absolutely pristinely beautiful day in this forest. So I thought I would share a live with you. I'm going to be doing an interview with uh, my daughter, who is a renowned uh, fantasy author who has written numerous dozens of best-selling books on the indie fantasy, dragon, knight, princess genre, and she's very good with it. And I will interview her on uh, one of my live sessions. I'm going to do a few live sessions while I'm up here in the Lolo Forest in Montana. I wanted to show you this incredibly beautiful Lolo Forest that I'm in. I'm right at the edge of the forest. My Wi-Fi will not reach way back into the forest, but I'm here sitting under an absolutely magnificent beautiful old pine tree that is just absolutely delightful for shading. I'm going to sit under this and do my live session. Then over there is more of the forest. I've been off hiking in the forest back there, back out in the, uh, the depth of the forest. And I am going to do a, uh, a video on that. Let me adjust this just a little bit down so that you can see a little bit more of the forest. Hopefully this won't fall off the chair. We shall see. I want to share some ideas from one of my very, very favorite naturalist, philosopher, uh, theologian, scientist, symbolist uh, authors. He's an expert in early Christianity and numerical symbolism, uh, philosophical and uh, religious symbolism, David Feidler. His book, Jesus Christ, Son of God, S-U-N, of God, I have actually talked about on my live sessions before. And I am going to take some excerpts from Restoring the Soul of the World. This is his most recent book that I'm aware of. And he published this one in David Feidler. Inner Traditions 2014. So, I mean, it's already been eight years. It's crazy how fast time goes. Uh, I have just been delighted with the information in this book on how to tap into Mother Nature because we recognize that we're not separate from Mother Nature, but we're part of Mother Nature. I mean, we come from the earth, like Alan Watts says. We don't we don't come to the earth as strangers, pilgrims from afar. We come from the earth. And the earth peoples. That is what it does. Just like an apple tree apples. And so this theme of the world soul is a very famous uh, metaphysical theme that is prominent in so many religious systems. And... So I want to share some of these ideas on the, well, Plato. And, and this is, he, he does this as a quotation. Hey, there goes a big jet. We don't get away from civilization, even out in the wilderness of the forest. 
the Lolo Forest behind me. It's a pristine, beautiful place. I've already been hiking this morning. I got up at uh, 5.30, <laughs> began videoing and hiking. The cosmos was harmonized by a proportion and brought into existence. And Ralph Waldo Emerson, another one of my very favorite, my very favorite romantic author, but one of the most important serious philosophical slash spiritual authors, Ralph Waldo Emerson. God has not made some beautiful things, but beauty is the creator of the universe. Uh, and the way the universe, the bark of trees, if you've ever looked at the bark of trees and touched the bark of trees, the needles in the trees behind me, the grasses, the flowers, etc. Uh, these, all of the big as well as the small, meet together in a grand synthesis of Mother Nature. We all know that. But the way, the way Feidler words this is so remarkably interesting and pleasurable. Hey, Gail Capson, good to see you. Vint Z, yeah, I'm out in the Lolo National Forest in Montana. Uh, I'm visiting my daughter. And this is the Lolo Forest. Let me show you the Lolo National Forest behind me. I did this earlier, but since you're just now getting here, uh, there I am at the edge of the forest. That forest goes on for many, many dozens of miles deep. We've already been hiking in it this morning. We arrived last night, and we've been hiking through the forest. And uh, I will, I will. I'm taking videos on my camera, uh, and I wanted to do this live session to let you know that I am in the Lolo Forest, and I'm sharing some themes. I will be, I will probably be producing some videos uh, Sunday. Uh, tomorrow we're going to travel and uh, look around, and and then Sunday I think I will do quite a few different videos. So it's all good. Hey, who else is here? Trevor Van Blarcom. That looks beautiful. I'm jealous. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Well, good. I'm glad I showed up uh, live so that you could get me for lunch. According to Thomas Aquinas, I'm reading a selection from David Feidler, uh, Restoring the Soul of the World. This is on page 45. I thought while I would sit in Mother Nature, I would share some of the ideas of the world. According to Thomas Aquinas, three things are needed for what we call beauty. And I'm sitting in what I can only consider to be astonishingly beautiful. And here are the three things, wholeness, harmony, and radiance. Yeah, wait till you see my video on the sunrise here in the Lolo Forest. <laughs> it's beautiful, man. So in the radiant forms of nature, which I am truly in right now at this very moment, beauty arises from the delicate relatedness. And what this relatedness does is it actually unites the tiniest things, the tiniest parts with the greater whole. And you can see that each separate blade of grass back there behind me every separate blade of grass, is so much smaller, insignificant, unimportant, we would propose, than this great big delightful pine tree that I'm sitting under. And yet it is the grasses, it is the flowers, it is the pine trees, whether they're big, small, no matter what color they are, no matter what shape they are, 
every part of nature that we consider to be quite astonishingly delightful to be in, to participate in, to be a part with. All of this is a grand unified whole. It's like a symphony of different instruments. No one single instrument in a symphony is the most important instrument, any more than one particular piece of life out here in Mother Nature is the most important. All of the others, of course, you can do away with because they're not as important as this tree. You wouldn't go cut down that entire forest just to have this one most true and important tree. That is absolutely ludicrous. This is the theme this idea of the harmony, the symmetry, and the proportion. That's what creates beauty. That is why the human body itself is such a marvel to us, because we have the fee proportion built right into our bodies. The proportion, the ratio, the symmetry of all aspects of our body creates an incredibly dynamic, an energized form with our five senses that we can see this beauty. We can smell it. Have you ever smelt the bark of a tree. I know you smell flowers, but oh God, that's so awesome. That is so awesome. The sap, the sap running down out of the tree and smelling the bark, participating in nature. There's nothing like it. It's absolutely one of the, uh, one of the most spectacular things we can do for ourselves. Plato called the cosmos a perceptible God. The image of the intelligible is also what he called it. The greatest and best, the most beautiful, the most perfect. Now, he's got a point. He really does have a point. We are this as well. We're not set apart as a separate aspect of this. This is us. This is why we feel. We feel when we get into Mother Nature. Yeah you go home. This is our home and it's beautiful. He said that the universe is one whole of holes. Now, his image of the universe has been uh, probably poo-pooed, downplayed, ignored, not very much appreciated in our more modern culture because we seem to have forgotten some of the lessons of the ancients that, quite frankly, it would truly help uh, not only us as individuals, but as, as neighborhoods, as cities, as towns, communities. It would help us to get it all back together in this unified whole when he says, it's not a machine. Man is not a machine. The earth is not a machine. Plato understood it more accurately. He said it's a single living creature. And this single living creature encompasses all of the living creatures that are within it. Now, he said that in his very famous dialogue, the Timaeus. And I think that's correct. I think that connects much stronger, much better than this, this idea that we're just cogs in a wheel of a machine. That's not nearly as delightful as knowing that we are part of this mother nature. And we get to feel the gnarled, rough bark. And we get to smell it. We get to taste it. We get to eat 
plants in Mother Nature. We get to participate in it with the big and the small, all combined to produce this magnificent Lolo forest. It's not just one item. It is myriads of tens of thousands of them, whether they're the flying insects, the birds, the eagles, the osprey that I've seen. It doesn't matter whether it's the wildlife I've seen, the deer. Uh, my daughter said she saw a bear here, a mother bear with her cubs, a black bear just a couple days ago. All of it interrelates into the magnificent whole. The cosmos is a living reality that is actually woven together through dynamic patterns of relatedness, and it is famous in influential dialogue, the Timaeus. Plato offers a Pythagorean account of how the beauty and the order of the cosmos came into existence. So when he was speaking about the ultimate matters, Plato would never give a literalistic description. Now, this is remarkable. This is something that, uh, this is one of the values of reading the various uh, Greek philosophers, the ancient guys, because we have a particular way of relating to each other, to the world, to ourselves, to texts. And uh, it seems because of the, oh, more or less the scientific uh, approach to everything that the literalness has been placed on a pedestal of being more accurate of reality than any other type or manner of comprehending what it is, whether it's whether we're seeing things, we're hearing things, whether we're learning uh, the ideas, whether we're reading a book. Yet Plato never really went the literalistic way. I thought that was kind of remarkable. And then Feidler goes on to explain a little bit more about this as well. He says, now, he offered a myth or a story, and what this did is Plato's method was to point his reader into a certain direction, and this is especially too true in the creation myth that we find in the Platonic dialogue, the Timaeus. And he describes the underlying structure and the creation of the universe in this myth. And so he did not pretend to offer us a final truth. This was the other thing that uh, really actually helped the Greek uh, philosophy to become so influential is it's not given as a final revelation. It's more or less uh, an integrated process that we are experiencing and we're going through. And that involves not only the cosmos, not only space, but also time, right? And life, living life, you know. I, I can look back at my life and I can say, okay, I have gone through, I have come through a process of 61 years and all of the decisions, all of the choices that I've made in the grand concourse of my 61-year-old life has led me right to here under this very tree talking to you, my audience, about the greatness and beauty of nature. So, so this is like a process. It's not a final truth 
to arrive at. That's how Plato approached things. Perhaps that is one of the key elements that made Plato so dadgum great, right? That, that would be one of my propositions. It's very interesting. He's only in the Timaeus now. What he's doing is he is sharing with us a story. And we all love stories. So this is what the great stories. All right. Hey, you want to learn something? Let me tell you a story. Here we go. There was a story of a guy named Jane or whatever other story you want to go through, right? So in the Timaeus, he characterizes this description, this story, as probably the most likely account. So he's not being dogmatic. And in this account, he describes the nature of the world soul, something he thought was the world soul. And this is the vital pattern of relatedness in which the life, the beauty, and the order of the cosmos are rooted. What a beautiful image, because I'm in this Lolo forest. And the thing that keeps all of these absolutely magnet, whoops, don't rock, Carrie, it'll get you dizzy. The thing that makes this forest so magnificent is its roots. Kind of a cool way to look at it, isn't it? The roots of this tree, the roots of the grass out there, the roots of the beautiful flowers, the roots of all those trees behind me. One of the things about it is the rootedness of life in the earth. This is terrific. The overall theme of the dialogue is simple enough. Plato invented a mythical figure, and he called this the Demiurge, right? And this is the Demiurge that brought the universe into being. Now, the Demiurgos, the meaning of that Greek word is just a craftsman or somebody that fabricates something. It can also mean an artist, a Demiurge, a Demiurgos, someone who works at creating something. So in Plato's creation myth, the Demiurge looks forward toward the eternal good. And what it's going to do is it's going to look at that eternal good and it's going to utilize that as the guiding path to what the Demiurge is going to do. So this is kind of cool how Plato sets this up here. And he uses this as a model. And so because of that model, what the Demiurge does is he brings the universe into living manifestation. So what we have here, what we are in the midst of is a living manifestation of divine beauty. And Plato calls it the best possible image. Of course, it's why we love to come out into it and enjoy the, oh, the crisp, fresh air, the fantastic, beautiful blueness of the sky above our heads. We even see dead branches, and they're beautiful in relation to the living branches. You don't get rid of them. They are all part of the integrated whole of the beauty of the best image that we have in what we call, what Plato called, the cosmos. It's a wonderful theme. And it is because he's approaching this not as a machine, but as a living thing. And let's face it, the earth is alive. 
we can tell the difference between what's alive and dead. And the earth, of course, is alive. It, living is everywhere, all around us. Plants, animals, everything is alive. It's a fantastic idea. And it's the most beautiful and the most perfect. The physical image of the spiritual realm is how Plato was trying to uh, bring this forward, bring this out. The physical image of the spiritual form, the spiritual realm, a perceptible God. And now, and I wrote this in my note, uh, this reminded me again of Adam Kadmon in the Jewish Kabbalah. Yeah, that, I mean, that. this is the same principle. Uh, if you've studied the Kabbalah and you get to the Adam Kadmon and you understand that the Adam Kadmon is the cosmic man and the, the Jewish rabbis in the Zohar, they measure his body in terms of millions and billions of miles long for one of his eyelashes. And then they measure his nose and they try to describe it so on and so forth. They're, they're connecting the perceptible physical image with a spiritual realm. The attempt, the symbolism, the theme is life. And that is what Plato, in calling the cosmos the physical, the physical living creature, the, the physical living image. He was propounding that, that the theme is, is life and true reality as opposed to machinery. That's a modern construct that is the new kid on the block, and it's not necessarily the better image at all. So uh, Plato has some very interesting, it's, it's what makes Plato worth returning to periodically over and over and over again. So the overall theme of the dialogue is that the account is absolutely straightforward. That's the other beautiful thing we see about the Timaeus. There's no, there's no beating around the bush. Plato just simply lays it out there for our consideration, which is absolutely wonderful for him to do. The mysterious part that has puzzled commentators in Plato's description of the world's soul. In other words, he was, he was elaborating on the soul of the cosmos that lies at the heart of the cosmic pattern. And so what he did, what Plato did is he, he had this demiurgos fix his eye onto the universal good in his story in the Timaeus, right? Again, not as a final truth, just as a story. So he's going to fix his eye on the good and the Demiurge weaves. Now this image of weaving is so remarkably interesting. And he's got a great depiction of this. I'll show you here in a minute. The weaving, because he's got his eye on this good, the weaving, the interweaving back and forth here is the cosmic soul that animates the universe. But when Plato starts describing this operation, he starts by talking about mathematics. Interesting, isn't it? And the exact musical ratios that the Demiurge used to create the cosmic soul. So turning theory or the study of the musical proportions now, this was the way Plato uh, crafted his story is he themed it in with mathematics and musical ratios, which is really interesting. It was closely studied by the Pythagoreans and other members of Plato's academy.
So as in his order dialogues, Plato included here a, a musical and a mathematical puzzle for the contemplation of his more advanced readers. Fortunately for the general reader, and here's where David Feidler really begins to shine. I, I really like how he approaches this because what he's doing, look, let's face it, Plato is not the easiest guy to read in the world, right? <laughs> so so it's nice to have a David Feidler who can break this stuff down and make it easier for us, and he does so. They're not important as long as the overall idea is understood, the mathematics and the musical ratios. Let's get the broader picture here is what he's trying to say. For the Pythagoreans, the theme is the musical scale is the purest expression of mathematical and cosmic harmony. So that is why they brought into the musical scale. They're showing a harmonizing of all aspects of this magnificent whole that's called the cosmos. So through the use of simple mathematical proportions then that are present in our actual universe. So if we are so inclined, if we desire to learn how to do the calculations, which I did at one time in my life, and it's absolutely delightful to do, we too can involve ourselves into the calculating of the mathematical proportions and ratios. If you are musically inclined, you can put together the musical harmonies that Plato was trying to elaborate in his story so that we can actually participate in it ourselves. This is one of the fun things about the sacred geometry. And again, uh, this is actually a mix, a combination of sacred geometry and uh, of mathematics. But when you're studying sacred geometry, you don't just read about it. No, you get your pencil, you get your paper, and you actually do the sacred geometry. And, I, and I'm going to produce some videos where we actually, I can take you step by step through doing the sacred geometry. That's one of my favorite exercises. It is absolutely delightful to do. I know it sounds ridiculous. I promise it really is cool. It's fun. It'll grow on this. So Anyway, so this harmonia, now this theme of harmony, musical harmony, what he's doing is by tying it into the cosmos, the musical scale is created. And this is what was so important to Plato now and the Pythagoreans, you know. They said, yeah, everything is number, but they did it with the harmonicord. I think that's what you call it. Anyway, they did it with music. They showed that music was directly tied into this. The music of the spheres and all that noise, right? So through the use of these proportions, here's the key. The two extremes of the musical scale, in other words, the octave, the low C and the high C, the low D and the high D. When we get to the octave here, these are reconciled and put together. And that's what makes him sound so good in music. This is a fabulous symbolism that we can experience. We can actually experience, we can create it, we can experience it with our own ears and move toward a bringing together, which is the essence of the meaning of the word harmonia. It's a harmony. Yes, the means of fitting together. And that's awesome. Scala means ladder, the scale, the ladder 
and the joining together, the harmonia. So through perfect proportions of harmony, a continuous bridge is constructed between the two extremes of the octave, of course, and they are bound together in harmony. And so the analogy here that Plato is trying to utilize in using just simple down-to-earth exercises is that like the cosmos itself, all of the parts are perfectly and beautifully interrelated in the overall pattern. We as humans, we as with our brains, we as thinking people who can see, smell, taste, hear, touch, feel, as we learn through our senses, we also are part of this harmony. That's what Plato's getting to. So in the creation of the world soul, the Demiurge takes the principles of sameness and difference and he weaves them together through the ratios of the musical scale. So existence has two faces. This is really interesting. Alan Watts also talks about this. Existence has two faces, sameness and difference, in which absolutely everything participates. For instance, these trees behind me, this tree I'm leaning against, they all exhibit sameness, and yet they all exhibit difference at the same time. Same with the grass in the field behind me. They all exhibit a sameness, and yet every single one of them is unique and different a difference. That's fun to, when you really, and it actually that's kind of basic, but when you think about that, you can be led into some profound insights. And here is this, here is this magnificent uh, picture part. The sameness and the difference being woven together to create the world soul. That's a fantastic concept. I can't help it. I really like that. And this is Plato's description of the world soul, the principles of sameness and difference woven together through the mathematical ratios of the musical scale. See, we're using all kinds of disciplines in order to acquire a greater understanding of what harmony means, a fitting together through harmony and proportional relationships. The cosmos and the living organisms unfold in the best and the most beautiful way. And that's what, that's what makes that uh, diagram so very wonderful to look at. That's Plato's story of why I can sit here in Mother Nature and enjoy the forest. That's really kind of fun to know. Uh, and so the world soul is the intelligent and the harmonious principle of proportion and relatedness. And this exists at the heart of the cosmic pattern. And so it allows everything to unfold in the best possible way. That is why he wasn't presenting this as uh, a final dogmatic truth in any manner. He was simply saying, look, this story can ring in our soul because we're talking about the cosmic soul.
And how does this come about? And that's what the story of Plato's Timaeus is all about. I, I think it's a beautiful way to uh, to try to come to a, a better understanding of us and our relationship with the cosmos. It's wonderful. And again, the central Pythagorean ideas of harmony, proportion, and kinship. Well, all of these are transformed in this story into the world soul. And this then becomes the central organizing principle of the cosmic pattern. So because of the world soul, the entire cosmos is one life in which every part is in fact related to the whole through proportion, harmony, and resonance. Now, Man, that's a great image. That's a wonderful picture and a depiction that I don't know if enough of us in our modern day focus or concentrate enough of that, and yet we see it all around us in nature. You can see it in the way the, that tree that I'm pointing out with my thumb right now in this forest, the way that tree is proportioned in harmony, its shape, that beautiful Right behind me, that one right there. No, it's not perfectly symmetrical. That's not what makes that tree beautiful, though, is it? Not at all. That is one of the most beautiful of creatures. This tree I'm sitting under right here is also one of the most beautiful of creatures. It's the sameness and yet the difference. And yet there's a fantastic harmony with those trees here rooted in this ground, in this Lolo National Forest, with those clouds up there in the sky. There is indeed a harmony, and yet those clouds are nothing similar to those trees, but nor should they be in order to help us appreciate that magnificent scenery right there. Isn't that cool how that works? When you begin, all you have to do is just essentially shift your thinking just a smidgen and all of this comes to life. It all makes <laughs> it all makes pretty good sense. And it's beautiful to contemplate. It, it's not about whether you believe it's true or false. Forget that noise. Just appreciate the harmony and the beauty of the world forms that are truly working together, they fit together to create proportionate natural art. And I mean, you can't deny it. Those are gorgeous, beautiful forms. Just like Plato said, that's the best possible image for that particular part of nature. Sameness, yet difference, because it's all interwoven together. Fractal or straight line? Circle, triangle, square, octagon, octahedron. It really doesn't matter what shape <laughs> you're going to explore and look at. The idea is all of the shapes conjoined together, working together, create everything there is with a very astonishingly beautiful proportion that is reflected in our ability to hear and write and produce musical proportions. I, I mean, when you really stop and think about that, 
you go, all right, I'm in. I'm in. I like this. I yeah yeah that's that's fantastic. See, it's the same thing that uh, uh, Pythagoras said was the music of the spheres. It's the same principle, um, and so it, it's really wonderful. And so one last thing I'll read, one last thing I'll get to, and then I'm, I'm going to take off. I think lunch is being uh, cooked up right now, so I'm going to go to lunch. And then I'll see if I can uh, get back and do some more live sessions here in the Lolo National Forest here in Montana. Oh, and I've got a phone call. Hold on. What is someone calling me for? I'm on vacation. How rude. Just enjoy the beauty of nature for a minute. Oh, and then they hung up. Now, now we're talking rude, see? That was not in harmony and proportion. <laughs> okay, so one last idea I want to read from Feidler. And, and this is out of his book, The uh, the Soul of the World. A wonderful book. 2014 is when he published. Is the very elegance, it's the intentions that makes the cosmos Nature takes the shortest route. And while exhibiting exuberant creativity, and oh my gosh, all you have to do is march through a forest, you guys. Walk through a forest quietly and just look and listen and watch. And you can see this coming about at every turn. It's magnificent to do. It renews your soul. It's okay to take the time to do this. I promise. It really is. Very, very refreshing. So while exhibiting exuberant creativity, it does little in vain. For as Ralph Waldo Emerson observes, elegance of form in bird or beast or in the human figure marks some excellence of structure. In the construction of any fabric or organism, any real increase of fitness to its end is an increase in beauty. I, you know, only Ralph Waldo, Waldo Emerson could write so well, <laughs> and I'm under exaggerating, but uh, yeah, he he's wonderful to read. So I just wanted to share that brief selection with you from one of my very favorite books while I'm in this magnificent forest, and uh, I am taking some video on my my camera, which I will produce uh, another YouTube video separate from this, uh, where I will show you my different hikes in Mother Nature and share some of this wonderful proportion and beauty with you. So uh, this is just a quick live session. I apologize if it if it's not as long as some of them. Sunday, I, I may still be here in the Lolo National Forest uh, Sunday. I am planning on doing my Sunday school, uh, my Sunday, Sunday school at 10 in the morning on Sunday, and then my Sunday evening fireside at 6 o'clock. Uh, I have some materials that I brought with me just in case, and I think I will be here that long. So anyway, in the meantime, remember, have a great day. I will see if I can get back a little later on today. Uh, I will. If I can't, I won't. It's okay. It's it's all good. Perhaps, perhaps I can get back tomorrow, uh, but I will definitely be back Sunday if I at all can possible. And in the meantime, remember, have a fabulous day. Remember, it's up to us to see where true beauty lies. And it's in our observation because it actually really does exist out there. And we are so fortunate that we've been given the ways to apprehend 
physically with our sight, with our smell, with our hearing, with our taste, with our touch, with our touching. I mean, how fortunate are we? Yeah. It's a fantastic thing to be alive. That's what I'm telling you. I'm just saying. Yeah, baby. It is a fantastic thing to be alive. So, hey, Radio Free Mormon. Oh, well, you're very kind. Welcome, my friend. And Matt Woodruff, good to see you. Wonderful. I'm glad a few of you got here. Um, in the meantime, uh, let me, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do an experiment. And please forgive me if this fails. Uh, it will all be videoed for sure. I'm going to see how far this Wi-Fi can connect. I'm going to start, I'm going to pick up my computer and I'm going to start walking toward the forest. I'm kind of curious about the power of the Wi-Fi around here. So I'm going to head up over that way to the forest and I will bring the computer with me. And if it fades out, I apologize. I'm not trying to goof us up here, but uh, the forest is really just so stunningly fantastic. And it's so huge. I mean, this forest goes back there for miles. You can see over there all the way back. And then, and now I'm right at the, I'm right at the edge of the forest here. And then you can see it all the way over to that way. And that's east. That's where I took the, uh, that's where I took the video of the sunrise this morning. And it was really, really beautiful. I'm really curious to see if I can actually get up here into the tree lines before the Wi-Fi fades out. So if it does fade out, I love y'all and I'll catch you maybe, maybe tomorrow, but definitely Sunday. Let's see how far this Wi-Fi goes. If the Wi-Fi comes all the way up here into the forest, uh, I may just very well come all the way up into here uh, and do a podcast in the forest instead of at the edge of the forest. And so far, it seems to be doing pretty good, doesn't it? Oh, that's magnificent. So come with me as I walk in the forest. Here we go. This is awesome. There's a beautiful little tree. Oh, now we're getting into the forest. I love how quiet forests are. Enjoy the beauty with me. walk over here in the pines. See how far in the pines I can walk. Here we go. Yeah, I think the Wi-Fi's still working. I hope so. If not, I apologize. Here's another beautiful shot of some of the big, bigger, older trees. They're really quite magnificent, beautiful. Fantastic. See, even, it just fascinates me how even the little stuff, the lichen, the little lichen on the branches, even those help shape a forest. Even if it's on a small part is on that magnificent, huge, tall pine tree above me. The whole thing is all together, including all of this stuff on the ground. 
including everything in the sky. Because when you think about it, where does the earth separate from the sky? Can you have one without the other? Not really. So it's a fantastic thing being involved in this entire integrated wholeness. If this is still going, I'm going to be really impressed with the Wi-Fi. If not, I'm talking to myself. So I'm going to walk back and we can enjoy the forest. It's a magnificent place to be. Yeah. Hopefully I won't trip. I've got some trees to climb over here. Here we go, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. Now I'm getting to the edge of the tree line. All right. Yeah. There's nothing like walking in the forest. I went on about a four-mile hike this morning. It was really nice. So anyway, that's the idea. This living harmony, of which we are a part of. But no question about that. We are a part of it. And that's it. In and around us. So that's what it's all about. And when we can begin to do that, when we can begin to realize, hey, you know what? I can't afford the time. And then you realize, but wait, that's exactly what time is supposed to be used for, is to enjoy. Then you begin doing things for the right reason, and you begin doing right things. Now here I am back under my, my favorite pine tree in the whole forest. Okay, I'm gonna head out. You guys have a great day. I will be back soon. In the meantime, I'm going to head on out. Yes, Radio Free Mormon, right on. Truth is beauty and beauty truth. Yep. Hey, thanks for, thanks for taking a little walk with me. See you soon.